Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, I would ask you to please find the attendance pads if you haven't already done that and fill those out, pass them to those worshiping beside you this morning so we have a record of your presence here in worship with us this day. This is Coins for Missions Sunday. We have the blue buckets out in the narthex to put your coins in and we collect those the second Sunday of each month to support a number of local mission projects. So if you have some coins uh, on you in your purse or in your pocket on your way out, if you would drop those in the blue buckets, those will support our Coins for Missions. Thank you for bringing those today. The announcements are, are in your bulletin insert. I'd encourage you to look those over. Take this home with you so that you can remember the things that are coming up. I do want to highlight the fact that there is a special charge conference happening on Thursday, July 21st at 6.30. There's just one item of business for this charge conference, and it is to consider a candidate for ministry and uh, recommending a candidate for ministry from this congregation. So uh, the members of the charge conference are the same as the members of the administrative board. And so this meeting is happening at the same time as our regular administrative board meeting. So hopefully all of the administrative board will be there uh, for this, and then we'll just have a regular board meeting right after that special charge conference. So just wanted to make note of that. There's a special insert. Uh, thank you for hosting the Fuller Center Bicycle Adventure. So uh, make sure you take note of that uh, as we uh, hosted them, and they were very grateful for all of the hospitality that you all offered to them during their stay here. We come together to offer God our worship and praise, and so I invite you to be in a spirit of worship. Stand as you are able, and let's join together. We are called to love the Lord our God. We are called to love with all our heart and soul. We are called to love the Lord our God. We are called to love with all our mind and strength. We are called to love the Lord our God. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Come, Come let, us let us love, love our God, God and, and share, share God's, God's love in this time of worship. Please join us in our opening hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling.
be seated. And please join me in our opening prayer, which is printed in your bulletin. Sovereign God, whose judgments stretch our thinking and challenge our doing, you have placed us in the midst of your eternal realm to be neighbors to sisters and brothers we have not yet acknowledged. Draw us into a circle of mutual caring where the suffering of one is felt by all and injustice is confronted at every level to communicate your mercy to the world. Commission us through your word to grow, to bear fruit, and to serve. Amen. And please join us in our prayer hymn printed um, on the screens and also in your hymnal number 432. We're going to be um, singing just verses 1, 2, and 3. Let us pray. O most gracious and holy God, we give you thanks this day for the beauty of this day, for the joy of this fellowship, for the rejoicing of being a part of your family, your community of faith that you have called together 
in your presence and in one another's presence, to acknowledge that you indeed are Lord over all. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the way of life in your Son, Jesus, who came as a servant to all, who offered himself in sacrifice so that we might have life. May we, Lord, offer ourselves back to you in response to the sacrifice that he has made for us. And may we offer ourselves in service to one another just as he has shown us that way of self-sacrificial service. May we love one another. May we care for one another. And not just those of us here in this room and of this congregation, but everyone around us in this community, everyone in this world, Lord, you have called our neighbors and taught us to care for them. So may we have hearts filled overflowing with your perfect love that we might love others, even those far away, even those we have never known, that we might love them even as you have loved them and as you have loved us. Work your glory in us and through us. Work your mercy in us and through us as we have received forgiveness and restoration. May we offer that same mercy that might bring hope and restoration to others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us.
Join me in the prayer of dedication. May these gifts and our lives bear fruit in many good works, increasing among all people knowledge of God, patience and endurance, wisdom and understanding, love and joy. We would act with compassion toward one another and toward neighbors near and far. Thankful for the mercy you have shown us, we pledge ourselves and these offerings to extend mercy to all. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our scripture lesson today is from Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Amen. the whole world in his hand. He's got 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 the woods and the waters in his hand. He's got the woods and the waters in his hand. He's got the sun and the moon right in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. 
the birds and the bees right in his hand. He's got the birds and the bees right in his hand. He's got the beasts of the field right in his hand. He's got the whole world in his home. He's got your hand and me right in his hand. He's got your hand and me right in his hand. He's got It's a story that most of us learned as children in Sunday school, a story so familiar and well-regarded that it has become an idiom for a do-gooder, the name of the hospital where I was born. Even those who don't know anything about the Bible know the expression, a good Samaritan. The gospel story from which the expression comes is a story that's so simple and straightforward in the telling that its message can easily be summed up in the simple words of Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? That's the question that's put forward by this passage, and it is presented as one of the key questions to understanding the Christian life. A man comes to Jesus with a question. Luke tells us this man is a lawyer. Now, I'm not going to make a lawyer joke right now, as tempting as that may be, Not all lawyers are scheming and conniving, but the one in this story just happens to be so. Luke tells us the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. That's what lawyers are good at. That's why they get paid the big bucks, testing people, asking questions that lead people down a path that they perhaps did not want to go down. The lawyer begins with the granddaddy of all religious questions, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just before this encounter took place, Jesus had been speaking with his 70 disciples, which he had sent out two by two to proclaim the kingdom of God. They had returned to Jesus rejoicing in the mighty acts that they had accomplished in his name. Jesus instructed them, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Then Jesus went on to say that only he knew the Father and that he was revealing the Father to those whom he had chosen. And that's when the lawyer stands up to ask this question, to test Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you think you're so smart? You think you know everything about God and about heaven? Tell me then, what must I do to get in? I've heard it said that a lawyer is never supposed to ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. The lawyer already knew the answer. 
And Jesus points this out in his response. What is written in the law? What do you read there? When we hear the word lawyer, we tend to think in terms of civil law, laws passed by the government, but this encounter is taking place in in first century Palestine. There was no separation of church and state. There was no civil law that was not, first and foremost, religious law. The law of the land was the law handed down from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. So when our passage refers to this man as a lawyer, it's not, it, it is talking about a religious expert, someone who was well-versed in the law of Moses, someone who knows exactly what the law of God commands. So when he asks Jesus, what must I do? Jesus replies, you already know what you must do. You're a lawyer. What does the law say? So the lawyer takes another approach to test Jesus. He names the commandments to love God with all of one's being and to love one's neighbor as oneself. Jesus agrees, as the lawyer knew he would. And then he asks the question that he is certain will trip Jesus up. But who is my neighbor? Lawyers were not only experts in knowing exactly what the law of Moses said, They were also well-versed in what we would refer to today as case law, how the law had been interpreted and applied throughout the centuries by religious leaders. There was no greater debate about the law in those days than the debate over who exactly we are commanded to love by God. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to pull Jesus into that heated legal debate, and whichever side Jesus came down on, the other side would be upset. Thus, the trap was set. Love thy neighbor as thyself comes from Leviticus 19.18. The wording of that full verse says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, according to the Hebrew way of writing, The second part of the verse is a re-emphasis of the first part of the verse. When the second part of the verse says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is a re-emphasis of the first part of the verse, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. You could also think of it, of these two phrases, as the negative and the positive of the same thing. What shouldn't you do? You shouldn't take vengeance or bear a grudge against your own people. What should you do? You must love your neighbor as yourself. The point here is that the word neighbor, as it is used here in this particular verse, is used as a synonym for your own people. According to a strict constructionist interpretation of the law, the obvious answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is your own people. Who are you commanded by God in the Old Testament to love? Your own people. But that just begs an even deeper question, who are my own people? And that's the real question that the lawyer is posing. Who are my own people? Who am I responsible to care for? Who is it that I am obligated by God's law to love? That's what he means when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Who am I required to love? And who can I get away with not loving? 
We all want to know, don't we? What exactly is it that is required of me, and what is considered extra credit? School children ask the, the question, are you going to grade our homework, or do we just have to turn it in? No one would think of signing a job contract without first examining the fine details to know what is expected of them in order to get paid. We do the same thing with our faith. Tell me what's expected of me. Tell me what I have to do to get into heaven. That's what I'll do. And no more. Love my neighbor as myself? Okay, fine. But who exactly would that be? When the Bible talks about your own people, is that referring to my immediate family, to my extended family, the people in my neighborhood, the law-abiding citizens of my country, people of my own race and ethnic category, people of the same religion as me, people who hold to the same doctrine as I do? Who? After all, I don't want to love somebody extraneously. I don't want to go out of my way for somebody if it's not expected of me. I don't want to put myself out there for somebody who isn't my responsibility. Tell me to whom I am obligated. Which ones will count toward the grade? And who is considered to be extra credit? Tell me, Jesus, just who is my neighbor? It's not a new question. It wasn't a new question at the time that the lawyer confronted Jesus with it. Religious leaders have been debating that question just about since the time the law was given. Who am I commanded by God to take care of? There were various schools of thought within Judaism at that time. Some rabbis interpreted the law so strictly that for a Jewish person to assist a Gentile woman who was in labor was considered sinful. Because not only did it make the Jewish person unclean, it also resulted in bringing another Gentile into the world. For many Jews of that day, Gentiles were decidedly not their neighbor. And Samaritans were even worse. That's what the case law, the, the interpretations and regulations handed down by the rabbis over the years, that's what that had done to the simple law of God. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the people of God came up with their long list of ex exceptions about who was not included in that commandment. It is into this debate about who is and who isn't to be considered my neighbor that this lawyer, this religious expert, invites Jesus with this question. And he thinks that he has Jesus trapped. Jesus will have to come down on one side or the other with one religious school or another, and whoever he sides with, it's going to upset someone else. But instead of giving a straightforward answer, Jesus tells a story. I don't need to repeat the story for you. It's a familiar story. You heard it already in our scripture reading. You've heard it countless times before. But has the message of the story ever really sunk in with any of us? Do we realize the truly radical nature of what Jesus is saying in his response to this lawyer? We might think that Jesus is telling this story in order to say that everyone is our neighbor, but that's not really the case. Rather, Jesus tells this story in order to flip the question on its head and to ask a different question. It's been commonly recognized that the priest and the Levite were both 
religious leaders who knew the law very well, and it has been commonly suggested that they were caught in a legal conundrum. If they followed the law to love their neighbor, they would risk breaking other laws that had to do with ritual cleanliness, either by touching a dead body or or coming in contact with human blood. But if they adhered to the laws of cleanliness, then they would risk breaking the law of neighbor love. In this common understanding, the priest and the Levite, ritual and ceremonial leaders that they were, chose the laws of ritual and ceremonial cleanliness over the law of compassion. I would suggest that that the issue was much simpler than that for these men. I I would suggest that in their minds, according to their understanding of, of faith, the law of compassion had no claim on them in this instance. They could not tell who this man was. They had no idea what nationality he was. They had no idea how he got there or why he was in the state that he was in. Therefore, the law to love their neighbors simply did not apply in this case to this man. They didn't even know if he was their neighbor. There was no conflict of interest. The ritual and ceremonial laws were the only ones that applied in this particular case, and those laws all said, stay away, do not touch. But then comes the Samaritan. It's been commonly recognized that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, but it's also true that the Samaritans hated the Jews in return. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people, which had resulted during the exile when Israel was dominated by foreign armies. The very lowest class of Israelites were not sent into exile. They remained in the land where they intermarried with people from the occupying nations. Their descendants became the Samaritans. So there was ethnic bigotry at play. But more than that, there was religious identity. The Samaritans did not adhere to all of the Jewish scriptures. They did not recognize the Jerusalem temple as the center of worship. Instead, they worshiped atop the local mountains. They followed different laws and different customs, mixing in practices from other religions devoted to false gods. So to a Jewish person of Jesus' day, a Samaritan was considered both ethnically inferior and a religious heretic. They were illegitimate in every way, and they had to be avoided at all costs for the sake of religious purity. And the Samaritan, the hated foreigner, the law-breaking heretic, he's the hero of Jesus' story. He cares for the man along the road, even though religiously and legally he had absolutely no reason to do so. And even though socially and ethnically he had every reason to do exactly the same thing as the priest and the Levite had done. Let's put this into modern terms. The priest was the leader of the temple, kind of like a pastor. The Levite was a temple assistant, kind of like a liturgist. So there's a man who was beaten up and robbed and left for dead out on North Detroit Street. Along comes Pastor Andy on his way to church. He sees the man and he says, thank God he's not a member of my congregation. And he goes on into church to get ready to preach. Next along comes Julie Wickline. 
who sees the man and says, well, that's a job for the missions committee, not the liturgist. And she moves on in as well. Finally, along comes an illegal immigrant who sees the man, bandages him up, takes him down to the Ramada, where he pays for two nights' room and board. Then Jesus asks, which one honored God? The pastor, the liturgist, or the illegal immigrant? That was the effect of Jesus' final question. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to that man? And notice that the lawyer cannot even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus capped off the interaction with the kicker that, that brought the exchange to a close. Go and do likewise. Notice that after telling this story, Jesus changed the question. The question posed by the lawyer was, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story, and then he asks, which one of these three was a neighbor to that man? When the story started out, the audience was asking the question, is this injured man lying next to the road our neighbor or not? That's the question that they expected the story to answer. The priest and the Levite exemplify the answer that, to that question according to a legalistic understanding. No, no, he is, not, he is not someone that we are commanded by the law to love. And then they quickly moved on. But the Samaritan doesn't ask that question. He asks a different question. He doesn't ask, is this man my neighbor? If he did ask that question, the answer would have been no once again. Instead of asking, is this man my neighbor, he asks, how can I be a neighbor to this man? And that's the question that Jesus is concerned with. That is the question that Christian faith is concerned with. Jesus didn't care what was required by the ancient legal code. He cared about what happens when your heart is filled with divine love. When your heart is filled with divine love, you become a neighbor to all. And so he asks, which of these three was a neighbor to that man? The one who showed him mercy. He is the one whose heart was right. The first question, who is my neighbor? That's the question that lawyers are concerned with. It's a question for people who want to justify themselves. It's a question for people who are looking for a shortcut. It's for people who want to know, what is the least that I have to do in order to get a passing grade? What are the minimum requirements for getting into heaven? The question, who is my neighbor, is a question asked by people who are masking the real question on their minds, which is, whose needs can I ignore and still feel justified? That is the question that cannot be asked by a person with living faith. The question Jesus is concerned with, the faith question, is what kind of a neighbor are you? 
when we are confronted by the needs of, of this world, the question for us is not, is this person my neighbor? The question is, what kind of neighbor will I be? Will I be a neighbor? Dare I say it, will I be a Christian in this situation? Or will I turn my back on God's love? Will I show Christ to this person? Or will I put my faith on hold and look for some legal loophole, some social justification that will allow me to look the other way? Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan is a challenge to all of us who would call ourselves Christians. It is a challenge to view every need in this world through the eyes of Jesus. It is a challenge for us to become the hands and feet of Jesus as we respond to those needs. It's a challenge for us to look past issues of citizenship, ethnicity, religious identity, orientation, social status, gender, age, and to see only the person loved by God and calling out for our compassion and mercy. Which one of them was a neighbor to that man? The one who showed him mercy. Go and do likewise. That is the bottom line when it comes to the Christian faith. It's not about distinguishing who deserves my help and who doesn't. Who has earned my fellowship and who hasn't. It's not about determining who we are obligated to love, and who we can justifiably ignore. The question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, what kind of a neighbor will I be? As Mr. Rogers so simply put it, won't you be my neighbor? I hope that you will. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 549 in the hymnal. We're going to be singing verses 1 through 4. I invite you to stand as you are able and let us join in singing together where charity and love prevail.
go from this place now and be a neighbor to one another and to all those whom you see. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.